right, hello everybody. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying seeing some of your faces and just absolutely excited to share with you here this morning. So I'm going to share my screen. You'll be able to see see some of my slides here. All right. So I really have been pretty uh, excited to talk about how to charge our relational batteries or the picture, uh, since I'm visual, the picture is how to get some air in our relational tires. And if you're like me, we can always use a little bit of air in the tires. I just really appreciated what Brad shared earlier. And uh, yeah, I just found my head nodding as I was listening to him. Um, I suspect that just resonates with all of us. So we don't want our tires to get too low. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means uh, with our capacity. Um, you know, one time I was with a friend who was driving on the highway and we were just talking, going back and forth. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this like big block of wood in the middle of the road. And before I could say anything, my friend ran over it. Um, I, I just intuitively thought he would like let it go over the middle of his car so it wouldn't hit it, but he did, apparently didn't see it and I didn't warn him. And he hit this big block of wood and it like the car went boom, boom as it would. And it just blew out a tire. And then my, my friend was trying to keep the car on the road and we pulled over. And sure enough, we looked at the damage and I had a tire that was like blown out and the rim was damaged. There just wasn't going to be, uh, we weren't going to get anywhere quickly. It was going to be a while. Um, but I can remember that feeling of like, we have a car, but we can't get anywhere right? We've got an issue here. And I'm sure many of us have probably had at some point a flat tire. There's just nothing fun about a flat tire. My sons have bicycles. And a couple of weeks ago, they wanted to go for a bike ride. But they're like when they were on their bikes trying to ride, like it was like the rim was touching the ground. There was no air. And so I had to find the air pump and get some air in those tires. So if you've ever had um, a flat tire, it's just not fun. You're not going to get anywhere very quickly or very well until you get the right amount of air in the tires. And as I thought about this topic uh, today, you know, I realized that it's possible you can have too much air or too little air. I remember driving with a friend and my friend was going on a ramp too fast and it was wet outside. And once again, I had the thought, she's driving too fast. I didn't want to offend her by saying anything, but she was driving too fast on this ramp. And as she turned the car, it just spun. And thankfully, I was able to grab the wheel from the passenger seat and keep the car on the road because she kind of went, ah, and just like put her hands up. And I went, oh. So I grabbed the wheel, thankfully kept the car on the road somehow. I don't know how that happened. I think God helped a little bit. But anyway, um, those tires were, uh, they had too much air. And so if you have too much air in your tires, that can actually work against you. Um, but as we know, you know, too little air can also work against you and eventually just like wear out your tire. So you got to have the right amount. In the old days, we would just have to check. Like you just find a tire gauge and you just check the air. It's something that um, 
here in the States, they just do, if you get an oil change or anything, they will always check your tires. Um, but you know, this was just like part of owning a vehicle. You just check the, check the air in the tires every now and then. But the newer cars all have this tire pressure monitoring system. And at least in the States, you get like this horseshoe symbol appears on your dash if your tires are too low. So this system warns you and it says, hey, you're, you need some air in your tires because the air is just, the air pressure is getting too low. Now, what's interesting about this system though, it only warns you when you have 25% less air. So in other words, there could be quite a while here when you're, when you're losing air and you don't know it until the system kicks on. Um, but people who understand air and tires, they say that even 5% below, 5% um, less air in your tire can cause problems and can compromise your tires. So like the tire pressure monitoring system waits until you're 25% like less air, but I, ideally you, you really don't wanna to be too low. And like some of my examples, it can cause problems. I read about one guy in Connecticut here in the States. He got in an accident in the winter time and he ended up getting a ticket for not having the right amount of air pressure. So like the police gave him a ticket for not having the right amount of air pressure in his tires. I'd never heard that before, but the guy got in trouble because he didn't have enough air in his tires. So thankfully for most of us, we don't have to worry about getting a ticket, um, but we do have to make sure we get enough air in our tires, whether it's a bicycle tire, motorcycle or car of any kind. So where I'm going here is just um, when it comes to capacity, right? We need so much, um, you know, so much charge, so much air in our tire, so to speak, or we're going to have a blowout. Something happens when we start running low on capacity. And basically our capacity is just really helps to keep our nervous system and our body in a sweet spot. You've heard me talk a little bit before about staying in our sweet spot, staying in our relational sweet spot. So when I'm not in my sweet spot, that's usually not a good place to be for very long. We don't want to be there. And what happens is if you become stuck, maybe I'm, I'm too mad or too worried or too upset, um, that takes a toll if we can't get back into our sweet spot. So today, Jen noticed her wedding ring was missing the little diamond and she was dropping our dogs off and she just noticed in this person's house, she's like, oh, wow, I don't have the, the stone for my wedding ring. So she called me and said, honey, I lost this part of our wedding ring. I don't know where it is. You better get the boys. Let's see if we can find this thing. So I said, sons, we're going on an Easter egg hunt here. We're going to try to find mom's diamond in her wedding ring. And there was a window of time I could tell Jen was very upset because this was the wedding ring, right? This was like the symbol of my love. And it had so much meaning. She was, she was not a happy camper there for a while. As my sons and I were looking for this, we discovered it in the bedroom on the floor. It was sitting there. I was joking with my sons like, hey, you know, you just have to look for something kind of sparkling and glimmering on the floor. And that's how you can find this thing. And sure enough, within like five minutes of looking for this thing, we found it on the floor. And I could see my wife's face light up with joy and relief when I said, here it is, it's right here, I got it, you're not gonna believe it. So I could see that she felt relief. 
And that's kind of what happens when we're not in our sweet spot, we're, we're, we don't have the capacity for something, then we're just kind of upset or we're stuck. Just like Jen was, like, I don't feel good here. Something's wrong. And I want to get back to feeling better. And so that's really what we want to do here is we want to get back to that, that kind of that sweet spot in our life and our nervous system. Um, because when things aren't where they need to be, we don't feel well. We feel it. We don't want to be there very long. We want to get back to that joy and peace that we've talked about before. And, and you know, this can really play out and in fact impact our relationships. This can impact our mood. It can impact our attention, our focus. It can impact our relationship with Christ, right? Just like this stuff spills over, leaks into all areas of life when we're not getting back to joy and peace. Um, I can remember when my son got stung by a bee and he was most distressed about this bee sting. He was not happy about the bee sting. Um, it, he was upset for a while, right? So what we want to be able to do, like we can't stop things from going wrong. Things are going to go wrong. The Bible says, don't be surprised when fiery trials show up on your doorstep. Well, I don't know about you, but when fiery trials show up on my doorstep, I don't want to slam the door and walk away because I don't like it when they show up on my doorstep. But the Bible says, don't be surprised. These things are going to happen. Okay, well, if we can't avoid it, what can we do, right? Like, uh, let's, let's figure that out soon because none of us want to invite fiery trials into our home. We want to keep that far away. So the goal is that we learn to get back into our sweet spot. We learn to calm down. We learn to quiet. We learn to just keep that closeness with Jesus, no matter what's going on. And we can think about the disciples that many times were upset, whether the boat was taking in water in the storm or Jesus was resting in the bottom of the boat. Like the disciples looked at Jesus saying, hey, we got a problem here. Like help, take care of this, please. Or when the disciples uh, were out in the wilderness with the thousands of people and Jesus wanted the disciples to feed them. They kind of like, are you kidding me? Like, why don't you feed them? What are we, how are we going to feed them? So we look to Jesus for help. Like, like, I've got a problem here. Please help. Because there's only so much we can all carry before we lose it, right? We all have limitations there's only so much weight we can carry at any point in time, right? Because our capacity changes from morning to night under lots of different conditions. So the kind of the million dollar question is, okay, how do, how do we stay in our sweet spot? Well, what does that look like? And the, the Hebrew word, as we've talked about before for the sweet spot really is shalom. Shalom just means everything is right where it needs to be. And when I think about shalom, like guys, here's what I think about. Like when I think about shalom, everything being just right where it needs to be, I think about coffee. Um, I love coffee and I love coffee with just the right kind of creamer. I mean, I'll drink coffee black. I don't care, but I, I, but I do have a certain kind of creamer I really like. And I'll add a little bit of creamer or um, if I'm going to take a shower, I actually like really like hot water. It relaxes my back. You know, I've got a back injury. So hot water like relaxes the muscles. I've got friends that have gotten behind kind of the, the trend of cold showers. So like they do the cold showers things. I'm not one of those guys. Um, 
you know, but people who do it swear by it, it has lots of benefits. But you know what? We like things a certain way. My, like, my wife likes the temperature a little bit warm. I like the temperature a little bit cool. Um, I'm a pizza fan, right? So there's a certain kind of pizza that, you know, it just is certain ingredients cooked a certain way. And it's just like, wow, this is perfect. You know, our nervous system is like that. Our nervous system wants to be in shalom where our emotions, our body, our mind, everything, our relationship with Jesus, everything is right where it needs to be. And frankly, we don't like it when things are out of shalom. We, we have feelings about that, right? And so sometimes we kind of feel like we have to try to control everything because we want shalom. Um, but the problem is when we try to control it, it doesn't work well. We can't manipulate it. It's actually not something in our control. But there are some things that we can do to find that right temperature, right? Or to pour that right cup of coffee or tea. And so capacity, again, is just like, it, it's the limits on what we can handle. So we all have these limits, and they vary at different times. They vary moment by moment. And if you think about going to a gym and lifting weights, you know, we can only carry so much weight. Some of us can carry a lot of weight, all right? Some of us, it's like, hey, just give me the bar. I'm not going to bench press a whole lot. I'll find with the bar because the bar is heavy. So we all can carry different weight and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. What's helpful is just let's recognize what that weight is because we can predict anytime we try to carry more weight than we're designed to carry, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. I remember my, my friend James and I, when we were kids riding through a park and we rode to a frozen goalie, which was like iced over. And we just thought it was great to play on the ice. And then I fell in, it cracked. And I fell in as only up to my waist, thankfully. But I remember that cold water that day in the, in the midst of winter, that ice, I found a thin spot. And because I found a thin spot, it couldn't hold my weight. So we could say I exceeded the capacity of that ice and I fell through. And then I had to ride my bike home for several miles in that nice cold air but we all have these limits of what we can handle. And I, you know, we, a lot of us could just really admire the prophet Elijah, like this guy, like just amazing prophet of God, right? At one point he's on Mark, Mount Carmel and he just has this really big showdown with like the false prophets. And we're going to say, let's, whoever's God is real is going to show up. And so all these false prophets kind of did their thing. And then Elijah called on God. And this is when God showed up in a most like profound, dramatic way. And then after this amazing contest where God just really vindicates Elijah, um, a queen Jezebel wasn't very kind or nice. She gets wind of what Elijah uh, had done. And she threatens his life. She basically says, if you're, a, you're not going to be alive by tomorrow at this time, like you, I'm, I'm going to take you out. And for whatever reasons, this kind of freaked him out. And he's like, I'm out of here. Like this woman wants to kill me. I am out of here. So he leaves, he runs and he runs and he just keeps running basically and doesn't look back. And he runs so far out. He doesn't have food. He didn't really apparently have time to pack a meal. And he's just, he's exhausted. He's hungry. He's thirsty and he just wants to die. And he's like, God, just take me out. Like, you know what? Just take me out. 
Well, thankfully, God intervenes. He sends some angels to feed the prophet. He ends up having some cool conversation with Elijah. But Elijah reached his limit, right? He reached the point where he was like, I'm done. I can't handle anymore. This is all I can handle. I've got nothing left. Have you? I mean, we all have probably felt this way many, many times where it's just like, I'm done. I've got nothing left in my tank. My tank is empty. My tires don't have air. I'm just like done. And that's kind of where Elijah was. And so if you're like me, you probably don't like having limitations, right? Like a lot of us don't like limitations and we've learned to push through our limitations and we learn to ignore our limitations. And we, we just kind of want to pray away our limitations because we don't like limitations. There's nothing fun about limitations, right? But we can think about, we all have them and we, have, we actually have a lot of limitations. And so like, I, th I thought about this, I thought like, how, how long can we hold our breath? Like, man, I've got like two minutes, maybe three. I'm not sure. I might pass out. But I mean, I can only hold my breath for a little while. Um, and how long can we go without drinking water? Like they usually say it's like three days or something like that. And how long can you go without food? I mean, just it's a matter of time, right? We can do it for a while, but eventually well, we're going to have a problem. Or how well can we function the next day when we have a bad night of sleep? For me, that's my kryptonite, like sleep. If I don't sleep well, I might, my brain is just like not working well the next day. And my sons think it's funny because it's like, wow, dad is out of it. Look, have you seen him today? Like he didn't sleep much last night. He is out of it. I am out of it because, you know, I just, I need sleep, right? Um, or how long can we stay relational when we're tired or when we're mad or we're worried or we're offended or we're misunderstood or... I mean, we just think about, there's, there's no shortage of scenarios. We don't have to keep going there. Um, we just, we have limitations, good, bad, or ugly. We have limitations. And what happens with our limitations is it makes it hard to stay relational. So the first thing that happens when we're running low on capacity is we can't really stay relational. So we all have like a baseline capacity, right? So whether it's a good day or a bad day for you, you still have there's, there's still like a normal for you, whatever the thermostat is set on. There's still a normal. And that normal is just kind of what I call baseline capacity. So we all have this normal. So Elijah had a normal. And for whatever reasons, that day when his life was threatened, he is like, okay, I'm past my normal. I'm done here. I don't want to do this anymore. And so we have this normal that fluctuates, but for the most part, you know what you can expect from people. So my wife kind of knows what to expect from me and where I'm consistent, that's where my capacity is. Where I'm inconsistent, I'm, for whatever reasons, probably don't have a lot of capacity there. So we all have this normal, which is how well can I carry this weight and stay myself? And when I don't have a lot of capacity, one of the things you're going to see in me is it's hard for me to stay relational. That's usually like the first sign to go. If I'm not relational, then I'm starting to lose my capacity. The good news is, like this is where there's good news. The good news is God can work with our limitations, right? So God actually is well aware of our limitations. He's not surprised by our limitations. He's actually understands them. He knows them, but he can work with them. And so what we can do, kind of like growing a garden here, is we can do some things.
that helps to make it so that we can stay ourselves and stay relational no matter what's going on. But God can work with us. And God's actually really good at working with people with limitations. And so you see a lot of examples in, in the Bible where people have limitations, right? Good or bad, right or wrong, people in the Bible, lots and lots of examples from beginning to end, people with limitations. There's limitations of faith and there's limitations of energy or stamina, right? Kind of like Elijah, like he was going to pass out because he was tired and hot and, and hungry and so forth and thirsty. There's limitations in people being able to stay relational or being able to really listen and believe and follow God. And so one of the good things about hardships is we learn a lot about our limitations. We learn a lot about our weaknesses. Now, I'm not saying I like hardships by any stretch of the imagination, but when they happen, I learn a lot about myself. So when my wife and I get into an argument or have a conflict, we can learn a lot about ourselves in those moments or when my sons are in a conflict or something like what, whenever hard stuff happens, we can learn a little bit we can learn something about our limitations. And so if you think about um, God working with limitations, you've got Adam and Eve in the garden. They're in the garden with the predator serpent. Like then the serpent was really smart, right? So the enemy is highly intelligent and Adam and Eve almost like walk into this showdown with the enemy and it doesn't end well. Um, but there were limitations there right? Uh, God's people often fighting with other nations who were bigger and stronger and fiercer and meaner. And God, God can still work with it, just like he did with Adam and Eve. I love the example of David with Goliath. Like, Goliath was big. Like, he was big and mean and experienced. And like, he, he was like an assassin. But yet you see David, in spite of his many limitations, he's not afraid to face this guy. Um, which, I mean, he really kind of approaches it as, okay, well, you're talking about, you know, you're slandering God here. We got a problem. So David uses a smooth rock to, like, take out this mighty assassin. So lots of limitations with David, but yet David shows up, and God works under those conditions. And when, when Israel was in Egypt, and they were slaves, the lots of limitations, but God worked under those conditions. So in the Bible, God tends to do more with less, which is counterintuitive. So God takes what little we have, and he says, watch what I can do with this. I love the example with Gideon, where Gideon's going to war. God's saying, you need to, we're going to fight these people. But at one point, God stops Gideon and says, wait a minute, you have too many people. We got to get rid of some of these people, because if you take this victory with all these people, they're going to take credit for it. So let's get rid of some of these people, and then we'll fight this, this big army. I just think that's amazing. So God takes what little bit we have and he says, watch what I can do with this. And as the five loaves and two fish feeding 5,000 people, like, okay, we've got a little tiny food here. Let's see what we can do with that. So I love this thought that no matter what you have or more importantly, what you don't have, God can take what's there and say, watch me work. And so when we have limitations, it's an opportunity to say, okay, God, what do you want to do with this? Because we, uh, I don't have a lot to work with here. I have a little capacity. I don't have any money. I don't have a lot of food in, in the refrigerator. Whatever those limitations are, this is where God works. 
And for most of us, at least for me, I should say, I don't like having limitations. I want to hide those limitations. I would rather come across looking strong and looking a certain way. And God says, no, you know what? We're going to work with the limitations that you have. So think about this. Whatever those limitations are in your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, when we agree with God about these limitations, there's amazing things that he can do with it. We just have to be able to acknowledge and, okay, God, I don't have much here, but what would you like to do with this very little bit that I have? This is where God wants to meet with us, which is just glorious. So he wants to meet us in our limitations and show us that he's big. Um, not too long ago, I was praying about something and um, I think I was just feeling like I don't have what I need. Um, and the thought I felt like the Lord gave me was I was, I had a magnifying glass and I was looking at a speck of dust. So I'm studying a speck of dust with my head down and, and a magnifying glass. And then, but what I was, what the Lord was showing me was, Chris, if you look up, you're going to see me with all the galaxy and all the stars, all the galaxies that I've created are here. Like I'm the one that did this. He is but I'm so busy focusing on a speck of dust that I was missing this reality of who he is and what he's capable of. So I kind of felt challenged saying, Chris, why are you getting stuck on a piece of dust? Look up, look, look what I can do. I, I did all this stuff. You think I can't help you with your problems? I think that's good for all of us to hold on to. Like whatever those things are, he's the one that has the galaxy. Like he's the one that's created the stars sing to him as Job tells us. So it's like, he can take what those problems are. He can take what you're missing. He can take the hurts and the pains and the emptiness, whatever it is. We're all feeling it, right? For the last few years, we're all feeling it. He can take this and he can do something with it. And that to me is very exciting that he's fully able to do that. But we do wrestle with this issue of capacity. So with capacity, as I mentioned before, the first thing that happens when I'm, start, when I'm starting to run out of capacity, I go into enemy mode, which we've talked about before. That just means I'm not relational. So when you're out of capacity, you go into enemy mode and people feel like problems and they feel like you just want to win. And it's not a very satisfying place to be. So first thing that happens, we go into enemy mode. We're no longer relational. Joy flies out the window somewhere. The second thing that happens is we turn to artificial regulators to feel better. And this, this is basically when we have feelings we don't quite know what to do with. We just want to feel better. Now, I've been on this thing called an elimination diet. Jen's put me on this elimination diet because I wanted to see if I have some kind of food allergy. And I got to say, I thought I'd be miserable. It's like a 30-day, like you can only eat certain foods. I just really dreaded this thing. But I wanted to know, like, what is it I'm allergic to? Because something is like zapping me. And I have to say, I discovered dried mango on this elimination diet. And to me, like, that is my new dessert. I know it sounds weird, but it's dried mango. It's actually really good. So I found that that is like, like my treat, you know, but I can't turn to ice cream or anything. So I have dried mango, but I have to say it's, it's really good. So if I'm having a really bad day, I can turn to my dried mango, right? But the truth is, if I don't know, if I'm not getting back to joy and peace, then I'm turning to something else to make me feel better. So that's another sign that I'm out of capacity. 
you see me walking around with my big bag of dried mango and you go, wow, Chris must be having a bad day because I'm carrying my big bag of dried mango around. But we all turn to certain things to make us feel better. That's a sign that I'm out of capacity in some way. But there's a third step, which is just, I'm not getting back to joy and peace. And what am I doing to try to compensate? So if I'm not building a lot of joy, um, maybe I'm, over, I'm just overworking. I'm just working a lot more than I normally would. Or I'm feeling like I can't rest. I just need to push myself harder. So step two is just like, I'm not dealing with my negative emotions very well. And step three is very similar to that. It's just, I'm not resting enough or I'm not building joy. And that takes a toll. And the fourth thing that happens when our capacity is running a little bit low is just, it can be because I don't have the maturity. Um, we live by Lake Michigan. It's a mile from our house. So like I can walk to the lake from our home. And my kids love to make sandcastles. Like they, my one son will work for like hours. Like he made, I wish I had a picture to show you. He made a hot dog in the beach the other day. In the sand, he made this like three foot, four foot hot dog in the sand. It was pretty remarkable, honestly. But he, he spent a lot of time on this, but it's in the sand. And as soon as the wave comes up and it washes all his hard work away, and so with maturity, the storms of life just kind of wash us away. We, we just can't hold on to the good stuff. We just feel like I don't have what I need. And that's, that's usually a sign that there's something in my capacity that just needs to be strengthened in some way. So it's really helpful to have this lens that when we're out of capacity, um, we, we're not relational anymore. If you, if you get to know my wife, it's, kind, it's almost we kind of joke about it because when she goes into enemy mode, she can't hide it. You just look at her face, you know, she's in enemy mode. She just lost the joy for whatever reasons. When I go into enemy mode, I can still smile and I can still like push through it. But when she goes into enemy mode and there's just no hiding it, it's kind of funny how different we are. And we like to give each other a hard time, but we go into enemy mode when we can't handle something. So Elijah, in a sense, went into enemy mode. He's like, I'm out of here. I am done. God just let me die already. I'm done. So Elijah was outside of his capacity. He was pushed beyond his limits. And one of the second things that happens when we're pushed beyond our limits is first thing I go into enemy mode. Second thing is I lose my awareness of God's peace and God's presence. So I might have a sense of Jesus being with me and then something happens and it pushes me over the edge. Now I don't feel like God's with me anymore. I just feel like I'm, uh, I'm all alone. And that's kind of how it feels in those moments where we've lost that awareness. I mean, God is here. He is, Jesus is with us, but I'm not aware of him being with me. And now it's like, okay, I'm, I'm left here all alone. I don't know where he is. And I got to say, that's, there's, that's not a fun place to be. I lived most of my life in that place. And I remember being absolutely shocked when I discovered that Jesus would talk to me and that Jesus was with me. And just as the Bible said so, like when Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, like he wasn't just saying that to sound nice or to be polite, like that, that was a promise. And I remember one of the first times I realized like God has always been with me. There was such joy and peace there. Like, wow. And then with a little bit of practice, 
um, we can train our brain to start living with that awareness of God's peace and God's presence. And as a counselor, this is a big part of what I do when I work with people. It is helping to connect with God's peace and presence in some of those hard places where we're pretty sure he's not there. And people are, all, and me included, are just absolutely shocked uh, in our own lives where we discover that God actually is with us. He's always been with us. We just weren't aware of it. So when I'm outside of my capacity, God feels distant. God feels cold. God feels far away because I'm not aware of him being with me. And that's what happens when we go into enemy mode. So when we want, if we want to kind of measure our capacity and say, how are we doing here with our capacity? How well do I stay relational would be a question I would ask. So how well do we stay relational? How well do we feel and hold on to shalom? Um, how well can we recover when we lose shalom? So, okay, we're going to lose shalom and it's going to happen, but how can, how well can I get back there? Can I feel appreciation? How well can we feel appreciation? Appreciation is a sign. If you can feel appreciation, that's a sign that your relational circuits are working. So how well can I feel that appreciation and how well can I live with that awareness of God's peace in my life and God's presence? Um, can I share my face with Jesus? So that's a really cool thing that happens when we're aware of Jesus being with us. Jesus has permission to live in our face. Jesus has permission to use our face. And that is a little weird concept. Like, really? What does that even look like? Like, well, we give Jesus permission. Like, Lord, if you want to use my face today, by all means, you know, show up, show up in my face. And I'd love to share this with people. And so we always think about evangelism as having the right words. And I mean, that's important. We do need the right words, and we obviously need to understand the scriptures. Um, but you know what? There's a part of evangelism that's just letting Jesus use your face. And what would that look like for, for God to be able to borrow the faces of his children in this world? So when I'm in capacity, that actually feels pretty easy to do. When I'm out of capacity, it feels really like, I don't know, I can't even think about doing that. So what it means is I have an awareness of my body. When your relational circuits are on, we're aware of ourselves. We're aware of our body. Like So today, my son was very excited about um, the, they got a garage sale find that he was super excited today. And he was like talking almost nonstop for I don't know how long it was, but he was super excited. And he was tell, talking to my wife about a number of things. The problem was he never looked up to see if she was actually listening. So she looked up and, said, and she said, buddy, I, you're talking to me, but I'm not listening to you right now because I'm distracted with this. So he never like noticed if Jen was paying attention. And these are things that, you know, we teach our kids like, hey, I like to joke with my son. I call it reading the room. Like, buddy, are you reading the room right now? Like, you know, let's look at what do you see on everybody's faces? Is this a good time to do that? So we learn to have body awareness. It just means I can learn to be present and notice what's happening in my body, but also what's happening in your faces. And if my brain is in enemy mode, I won't think to do that. It won't, that, that skill disappears. But when we're in relational mode, we look at people and we say, hey, how are you doing? It looks like you're struggling today. Or you look tired today. What's going on? You don't look like you're doing well. Or, hey, why are you so happy today? What's gotten into you? That is part of what happens when we're in relational mode. So kind of a cool thing. 
But what do we do with all of this? So this is like where we land the plane here. So capacity is really good in theory, um, but what do I do? If you're like me, I realize lots of ways that I need to grow capacity. I find lots of ways that, boy, I wish I had more capacity here. I wish I was better at being able to do this. I have a lot of those things. So what do I do? How do we do this? Well, what's cool about with how God met Elijah is the first thing God did was he fed him. He fed the prophet and the prophet rested. And eventually, a few days into the journey, he got to where God met with him and then God interacted with him and God sent him back a different way. So what we can do is just start noticing what skills do we have? What, what, what skills are available in our midst? So who do you know that's really good at joy? Who do you know that's really good at quieting and resting and calming? Who do you know that's really good at like staying relational when things go wrong? Who do you know who's has seems to have some maturity and they just handle hard things well? We just start noticing the resources in our midst and saying, who's good at these things? Because the people who have those strengths are able to like pass those on. And so we just start noticing, excuse me, we start noticing who has skills and who doesn't have skills. And we start building connection. Like one of the things I absolutely love about all of you is you've got this, this community and you love each other and you care about each other, but there's connection. Even in different places, you, you still have connection, which really is like the backbone of growing capacity is it takes connection. Because the thing we don't want is to feel alone. That creates tough conditions. Like we will quickly lose the air in our tires when we feel alone. So that connection is key. And we just start noticing our own process and noticing where we're losing our shalom. So you know what? Every time I feel shame, I lose my shalom. What do you think that says, right? Or every time I get mad, I lose my shalom. I lose my peace, right? That just says, okay, I need to learn how to hold on to the peace and shalom in those places. Um, and we don't expect other people to fix our problems for us. That just, that just means we are in this together. We are in this boat together. We all have so much to bring to the table. Your, your hearts, your gifts, your talents, your your skills, everything, like just amazing group. Everybody has something to offer, something to give, and we all have areas where we need to receive. So we start to strengthen skills as we also um, learn new skills. So the good news is there's a lot of skills in your midst that we just have to you know, continue to make sure we're sharing them and people are learning them. One of the cool things I'm excited about, as Brad talked about, is just the chance to like interact with you guys. Part of what we're doing from my perspective with the, the times of meeting and the habit builder uh, courses and so forth, we're just trying to, we're actually building capacity. And so when I created the habit builder courses, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Like, and I have to say, when I created this stuff, I get to practice this myself and I get to practice it with my family. And I benefit. I figure if nobody uses this stuff, at least I'm benefiting and my family's benefiting because I get to do this stuff when I create it. I get to test it. So it's, a, it's been a fun way for my family to benefit from this stuff. But that's really what we're going to be doing is trying to, to really charge your batteries and trying to add the air, more air into your tires so that you stay in your sweet spots. 
So what can I do now? We just continue to give God our weaknesses and our limitations. Your limitations are a place where God wants to meet with you. You don't have to hide them. You don't have to be ashamed over them. You don't have to candy coat them. Like your weaknesses and limitations are exactly where God wants to meet with you. Those are gifts. That is holy ground. Don't let anybody or anything ever tell you differently. That is exactly where God wants to meet with you. And he's okay with that. Um, sometimes we have coping mechanisms that were good when we were younger, but they're not good in, you know, later in life. So sometimes we just recognize some of those outdated coping mechanisms that says, you know what? My anger solved problems when I was a teenager. I got things done. But now I'm, you know, at this age, my anger actually works against me. I need to, I need to change that. I, said, I need to update that tool. Um, and we focus on just growing capacity, which is kind of what you're doing in coming days and coming weeks and months. We always start with the places of weakness. We start with the easier places opposed to the harder places. So we start with those places that just feel more manageable than maybe some of the other places. You don't want to dive into the deep end of the pool until we've learned to swim in the shallow end. And then we're just learning how to be relational. And what hinders you from being relational? Right? Those are good conversations to have. And of course, you guys already do a lot of this, but just we're building joy. We're building joy through our fellowship and our stories and our appreciation and our gratitude, our meals, our interactions. And we just, we don't have to be afraid to love. One of the best gifts you have to give people is your love. If you do anything in this world, you will never regret giving your love. And I know life and experiences kind of teach us very unhelpful things about that, but your love is your superpower. That is a gift. And don't be afraid to love. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was younger. But because we all learn unhelpful examples around that stuff, but our, our love for one another and our love for God is like one of the best gifts. So friends, it's just an absolute joy uh, to just walk with you in this, in this season, in this journey. I really wish I was there with you, but I'm so glad that we can do this. I'm grateful for that. Every time I think about spending time with you guys, I just, I have a smile on my face. It just, it feels like Christmas morning. Um, I'm always look forward to being with you. I know one day, one day our crew will get there. We'll get to see you in person, but I just pray that God will refresh you and, and give you everything that you need as you go into the season and try to grow the good stuff. So thank you for having me.